Hello again, friends, and welcome to the Young Anglicans podcast. I'm Eric Overholt, uh, a youth pastor in Southern California, the Los Angeles area, and I'm here with Andrew Unger. Andrew, I'll let you introduce yourself. Uh, hi, I'm Andrew Unger. I'm the, the youth pastor at All Souls Anglican Church, which is in the suburbs of Chicago in Wheaton, Illinois. Um, yeah, and I've been there for 11 years now. Awesome. So if you joined us last time, Andrew uh, interviewed me. We talked some about what my youth ministry looks like at uh, St. Luke's Anglican in North Los Angeles. And we just decided we're going to turn the tables this week and I'm going to interview Andrew and get a sense of what youth ministry is like at All Souls. So I'll start, Andrew. This isn't where I was going to start, but I'm going to start here and just let you talk. Just explain to us what youth ministry, what your youth group and your youth ministry looks like at All Souls right now. So um, I'm the youth pastor at All Souls, but actually our church um, sort of is a combined youth ministry of our church and another church called Church of the Savior, um, which is also in Wheaton. And we've recently added a third church, Church of the Great Shepherd, um, which is also in Wheaton, um, who sends one student. So we're a combination of several churches. Um, if you want to know why there are three Anglican churches um, in the Wheaton, Illinois area, there is, there's actually a Christian Century article that was written in like 2007 about Wheaton Anglicanism and the sort of hydra that it is. But um, all that aside, we're a youth ministry comprised of several churches, um, roughly between all the stuff we do, um, reaching between 20 and 30 um, adolescents. Um, and we're actually a program-heavy youth group. I've tried to like pull back what we do every week, but every week um, I meet with my students for like a Sunday school type thing. Um, our church has catechesis for all ages, and so we do that. Um, and then we meet again on Sunday nights in these house groups, which are at, there's a middle school and a high school group in people's homes where we just meet and that's a little bit more informal, more conversation heavy. Um, and then I meet again in the middle of the week, uh, like a third weekly program um, for a youth group, wow. we call it, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, where we do. Oh, I see. So the house groups is not youth group. The yeah. youth group is actually Wednesday night. Yeah, youth, okay. youth group. I, I'm terrible at branding. Even Sunday school is a terrible name, but I can't think. Yeah, you and me both. Yeah, I can't. I mean, maybe I should call it like explosion with like two X's and a Z or something, but um, <laughs> I, I got no good ideas. So we just call it youth group um, on Wednesday nights. Um, and that's where we, um, we do like a game and then we do evening prayer. And in the middle of evening prayer, we do something. Sometimes it's a lecture. Sometimes it's a prayer exercise. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to be taping my own makeshift labyrinth through our nave and sanctuary and will um in the middle of evening prayer like walk around slowly and do a sort of pre-lent assess your life thing um so yeah it's it's but it, each of my programs have a different aim and goal um you know one of them's more like curricular based that's sunday school where like i'm gonna teach you some stuff one of them's more like community building based and then one of them's more like experience-based um so the wednesday nights it's more about christian practices um learning habits hearing testimonies sort of walking in the way of jesus and then sunday mornings is more like learning stuff about jesus and sunday nights is like belonging to each other and then talking about how our faith plays out in the real world um 
And so every time I think like, this is crazy, you need to cut some of this back. Um, I don't know which one I would cut. And the students usually don't wish I cut one back either. I mean, they, not all of them attend everything. They sort of self-select out of them. Um, Yep. But enough come to each of them to make it worth doing. So I just, I just keep doing it. Um, Yeah. yeah, So that was going to be my question for being program heavy like that. Well, first of all, you're combining three churches. Obviously I'm assuming all three churches aren't participating in all three events. Yeah. The, so all three churches come to Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. And then right, Sunday okay. morning, what I teach on Sunday morning, I share the curriculum with someone over at Church of the Savior because they meet on Saturday nights. So they we sort of do the same stuff at both churches on a weekend. Um, I don't think Church of the Great Shepherd has someone to do that. I think the, the one eighth grader, I think he just stays in the service. I don't think they right. have a Sunday school hour. So he's not getting that one piece, but... Um, Otherwise, both of the the two sort of main churches are represented at each of the programs. Nice. So, and your catechesis on Sunday mornings, is that uh, confirmation class? Is that middle school and high school combined? What, what does that look like? So I, I combine middle school and high school. Um, we have 45 minutes. Um, I do confirmation classes, a separate thing. Uh, what we do is... Um, Usually I have like, well, every two years at this point, the pattern is every two years we go through one of the gospels chapter by chapter. Um, So my students will, if they're with me, sixth through 12th grade have gone through three, if not four of the gospels chapter by chapter. So they leave knowing Jesus, the story of Jesus really well. Um, Awesome. And then on off years, like this is an off year, this semester we're doing a sort of big picture narrative of the old testament using the bible project videos which are excellent videos amazing amazing Um, they're so good and then what did i do in fall oh in fall i went through memory verses because all my kids grew up anglican not evangelical and so they don't have and so they never like memorized bible verses like they didn't do awana they didn't do any of that and so it's a little bit like cynical and deconstructionist of me like i the first week we did Philippians 4.13 and then said like, but what does it really mean? And why is, and why is it ridiculous that Steph Curry puts it on sneakers? And, and the next week we did Jeremiah 29.11. Like, what does it mean that God says, I know I have the plans for you? Actually, it's like, hey, you're stuck in Babylon for a while, but don't worry when you're dead, your descendants will get to go back to Israel. And so it's a little bit of the like, that's a little much, that's my personality coming through of like, cynically looking at these verses but then trying to redeem it and say okay there's a reason why christians have memorized this verse and and found comfort in it so even looking at it in context that there's value to this i'm not sure they always got that they might have just gone away thinking they were better than their (laughs) than their baptist peers but but that's part of they are right they are it's true um (laughs) they get communion every week and their baptist peers don't so yeah for sure Sure. So they're filled with they're filled with Jesus, whereas their Baptist friends aren't. That's right. Only are remembering Jesus, whereas yeah. my kids are actually getting Jesus. So yeah. <laughs> they are objectively receiving more grace. Yes, I love it. That's oh, sort of that's the so awkward great. part of being sacramental, right? It's like yeah. you, you claim the objective reality of Christ's presence in the sacraments. And then there's the natural follow-up question of like, so does that mean you're encountering God more and you're like, well, 
I feel like the logical answer is yes. I feel like in practice, there's no way I can say that I'm actually better than my sort of non-dominational peers. Um, so I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, and that's a that's a tough conversation right there. That's a rabbit trail that we could go down for a <laughs> while. And maybe let's let's shelve that one for yeah. a future podcast because I'd love to have that conversation, but not right now. Because it's a unique problem. I will say it's a unique problem in a place like Wheaton, Illinois, where there's just tons of my students' peers are from non-denominational Bible Baptist kind of churches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I mean, the, the the summer camp they all go to that's run by Wheaton College is called Honey Rock. And it's an excellent camp. It drives me nuts because it almost all my students go. And so I can't do any summer programming because Honey Rock's doing mm. it for me. But Honey Rock does such a great job. But it's clearly not an Anglican. Like, there's no Anglican elements to it. Um, right. So it, it's we'll, we'll shell that. We'll talk about that another time. Yeah. We'll, br- we'll bring on a Baptist and then fight him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That sounds awesome. <laughs> That's exactly what we want this podcast That's to be. Right. Lots of fights. I, lots of fights and anger. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, I, I'm trying to figure out how to answer this question. Um, except it, how to ask you this question. I'm sorry. I, I want to talk about as as I've gotten to know you, which we don't know each other really well, but we're getting to know each other better. Sure. One of the things I've learned about you is is your appreciation for art and richness mm-hmm. and and those kinds of things. And and, and I, I promise I'm being dead serious when I say this. I, I, I see in you, I, I, I hear in you and the way you talk and the way you talk about your ministry. There's a real there's a real value of holiness, hmm. of a, a reverence, you know, and and. Maybe that's because you're a priest, and so you are more holy. Yeah, it just exudes um, from me. Right? Yeah, because you've been set apart in a way that I have not been set apart. But, um, but I do, I do, I, I joke about that. But I really do mean that. I I see that value that you have in the way you talk about mm. things. So, I, and I hear a little bit in what you're talking about, what your youth group, the kinds of things your youth group does on yeah. Wednesday nights. So, talk to me a little bit more. I want to draw more of that out of you. What does that that respect for holiness yeah. and artistry and mystery and those kinds of things, that part of your personality that, that I love yeah. it's part of the reasons why you and I are becoming good friends. Mm-hmm. How, how does that get reflected in your youth group? Yeah. So interestingly, I think a lot of people, you tied two things together there, this sort of appreciation for transcendence and beauty on one hand, and then a sort of appreciation for holiness. Um, mm-hmm. I think people who, experienced my ministry would say on the uh on the holiness aspect i i'm actually relatively self-deprecating and joking and will make like these side comments about like the magic that we do at communion or like the priest is the one who wears the poncho like i'll 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 do these sort of like self-deprecating things and then i have to like backpedal so my students don't go to some other anglican church and and like totally ill-formed to be anglicans so that's (laughs) That happens on one hand, and the part of this is just my my sort of sarcastic humor. But I think you're right. I really value um, beauty and transcendence. Again, most people probably minister autobiographically. My ministry is incredibly autobiographical, and um, for me, transcendence and beauty is one of the things I can hang on to in believing that there is a God in the first place. Like, for me we can be making all kinds of stuff up except 
it, it makes no sense that humans would feel a connection in transcendence and in music and in art. I mean, to, to me, that experience speaks to something more. So that's often a starting place for me. Interesting. Um, so it's a part of your faith. It, it really is like at the core, as I've gone through my own like struggles and, and doubts and things like that, it's this sense of like, there, there must be something else because I, I sense it in transcendence. And I sense that when I, um, when I try and make music, that's part of it. Like I, I feel something there. Um, and I don't think it's just that humans eventually evolve to have brains that like these sorts of musical patterns. So mm. that's a big mm. thing for me. And so what I end up doing is that contemplative part, um, I try and emphasize that. So like tomorrow night when we do this, labyrinth um it'll it'll largely resemble um there's more formal labyrinth things you can find them online and you have to sort of tape down the labyrinth in a special right. way um mm-hmm. i'm just gonna have a really circuitous line and i'm not gonna do like there's stuff about like emptying yourself on the way in leaving something and then on the way out you sort of come back with whatever god handed you mm-hmm. um, mine will look a little bit more like an examine kind of thing like an Ignatian exam, where you're sort of reflecting and saying, okay, let me think about where I am and see how God can speak to me. Um, I think that's really big. Um, I think it's really important for students to understand that when they find truth in, in quote-unquote non-Christian places, um, they're still finding truth, and all truth is God's truth. And I don't think that means we sort of colonize other people's artwork, but I think it means we listen to people and when there's honest things, true things said, we go, yeah, that's, that's true. And I think that's true because I think Jesus would say that too. Um, mm-hmm. I think about every, every semester I do a music night in my house groups, these sort of informal nights. One of those nights is a music night and I encourage students to bring in music, suggest songs. We listen to the songs, um, in recent years, we've added the music videos as well. Okay, um, so you're, you're you're having them bring in like a, a a song from Spotify or whatever. Yeah, like yeah. Well, they, they're not bringing in a guitar. Right. They're bringing in. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're recommending a song that they like, and they're bringing it to the table. We listen to it, um, and then we sort of critically analyze it. But the the framework I try to use or try to go back to, um, and it collapses pretty quickly as a framework. But what I try and say is, um, there's this classic thing we use to describe God. The beautiful true and good the good the beautiful and the true and so i say Mm. let's use that as a framework to think about this piece of art this song um let's think about it in terms of beauty and that ends up sort of morphing into let's talk about its style because i don't actually want the students to sit there and like criticize their friend's music like i think it's not beautiful at all (laughs) um that happened once and it was like someone had brought in like their favorite song and someone was like i think his voice is really annoying and that that was bad (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but so, so we, we sit there and we, we think about the style and we think about what the art is telling us. What is this a somber yeah. song? Is this, cause you know, lyrics on a page can come across two totally different ways, depending on the tone behind it. Yep. And then I say, let's look at the lyrics now between the lyrics and the style. What are they? What is it saying? And is what it's saying a true statement? And then is it good for us to hear? Cause there are some true statements that you wouldn't want to say over and over again. Um, mm. in what ways does it, does it strengthen us? Um, so the last time I did it, um, the students didn't, didn't recommend anything. So I, I compiled my own collection and I actually made a thematic, um, collection of songs. 
Wait, um, wait. Your students didn't recommend any, like, didn't bring any songs? Like, are they not listening to music? They what, are. What's up with that? I think they recognize that some songs won't produce good conversation. Um, like, there's some songs that are just going to be, like... Uh, okay. Like, there's just nothing here. Like, this is... Like, I recognize this Dude, is just fluff. Right. No, all she's um, talking about is a party or whatever. Yeah, that's exactly... So, um, <laughs> we... So, we... I got to compile a little thematic day and so i did um kesha's song praying which came out um what was her first single after she sort of won her court case from the producer that that she says has abused her um mm. and that that had a sort of copyright lock on her where she wasn't allowed to release music and she won this this court case and she was able to do stuff and it was this it's it's sort of this kind of redemptive song it's sort of i'm praying for you i hope you find your peace you did these terrible things to me but i hope you do something I hope you find something else. And the the imagery in the music video is remarkably redemptive um, and mm. interesting. And so we talked about that. There's a um, Lecrae song on his most recent album. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, sort of, and it, it all works out in the end kind of thing. Um, mm. I'll Find You is what it's called. So we listened to okay. that. Um, and then we listened to... There's a singer-songwriter named Kendall Payne um, who once performed when I was at in college, and I heard her, and, and she has a, a song called Pray that basically, it, it's this prayer, but it's sort of like, I hope every step is harder than the last you took so that you grow in faith. It's sort of this like, I don't pray things are easy, I pray that you grow closer to Jesus, which is hard. And so we, we got to look at all those and put them all together and think about them, and then as we listened to other songs, we would say like, okay, how does this compare to what this person is saying? Um, mm. and so a lot of that, there, there's not right answers in that kind of a discussion. There's not a lot of like simple answers in that discussion, but I right. find with my high schoolers, they're really able to say like, oh, I see how this would be helpful in one scenario and not in another. Mm. Or I see how if I was in this kind of a place, this song would be encouraging to me. Or sometimes you need to hear, you know, one of the songs had a more simplistic, like just trust and everything will work out better in the end and they recognize sometimes that's helpful but you know sometimes it's not quite there and it mm -hmm. i see it in in my students when i give them the opportunity to think deep abstract thoughts and to sort of start to use that part of their brain that's just developing um i find they they rise to the challenge i find that mm -hmm. they they it's like their eyes are opened and and the things that have fed me in my life things like music and things like beauty i show it to them and they're struck by it as well um mm. we did on a wednesday night we did like an an art um assessment thing where where uh, instead of a lesson we just looked at several paintings several images um i think it was the beginning of advent so like images of jesus or images of of the incarnation of things like that. Um, and I tried to use a pretty wide group of, of artists. So there's one guy who did an illustration and it's, it's sort of a, a modern telling of the, of the Holy family. And so there's, um, there's basically Mary and Joseph and they're both um, Hispanic and they've got a little baby and they're outside a convenience store at a telephone booth and it's raining. Mm. Um, or maybe mm. I don't think baby Jesus is there. I think she's pregnant. Um, and okay. so it's, it's imagining what that would be like in a different culture. And then there's all these little like visual cues that are fun. Um, like, right. I think that, like there's a sign for a, a type of 
a cigarette that's like three kings cigarettes or something like that you know they they sort right, of throw right. all these fun little easter eggs that the kids like to find but then they look at it and they think about it and they wonder about it and there was another one by an artist named hey she which is spelled qi who has reimagined lots of biblical stories using sort of traditional chinese artwork um, oh, interesting. and so you look at that and you're like oh okay what does that mean there's another there's a native american artist who reimagined the trinity and it looks kind of like a totem pole, but there's sort of all three stacked up, um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it's using traditional Native American sort of symbolism and imagery. And so you mm. look at that and say, okay, what does that look like? And I find that my students, even the more like heady, less artistic ones, can see that. And it it draws them out. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm convinced, and I don't know how strong this theory is, is that some of the crisis of youth ministry where we see these numbers about kids going off to college and abandoning the church, right? This rise mm-hmm. of nuns. Yep. Um, <laughs> rise of nuns. I realize when you say that out loud, it sounds like yeah. there's all these women going into, <laughs> going <laughs> <Yes>. into um, <laughs> becoming nuns. That's not a rebellion of women and <laughs> <Yeah>. habits. <laughs> so um, what I found is I think, and this is just Andrew's opinion, but I think a lot of people grew up in churches that, described God in a very particular way. Mm. Yeah. And then, and it's very enculturated and it's very suburban and it's very American. And when students then encounter broader viewpoints, rather than having a faith, that's a little bit more flexible and not flexible on those things that really matter, but flexible on, on the things that don't matter. Um, they encounter it and they're like, this Jesus doesn't look like what I've seen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so then they have an, an option to either go with what their experience is or go with this thing that someone told them isn't an idea and try and ram their experience into that idea. Um, it's kind of a long-term, it's kind of a long game project, right? Like this, yeah, this decision right. to say, I'd rather have an evening where we look at artwork than talk about justification um, and teach you hard theology that decision um, is a gamble in some ways. It removes control from me, right? But I'm banking on it. How, I'm banking on it, allowing the Spirit to do work in students' lives, where they are, are encountering God, and God will work in them. And right. there's going to be a, a slow fizzle that continues through their life because I'm not but, interested. But, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna, I was going to give you more credit than you're giving yourself, right? <laughs> because I'm just going to circle back around to what you're saying about being a heavy program youth ministry. You know, that, that thing that you're doing on Sunday night or Wednesday night or wherever, Uh where you're spending time looking at art, that's not the only thing that's happening. Right. There also, there's also the catechesis that we're also going through, you know, they're all going to have gone through each of the four gospels in the time that they've been a part of your youth ministry. Um, So I I actually love that you found a way to have space for all of those things. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really cool. And and that that leads me to the question of then um I I don't know if the kids in my youth group would I don't even know if they'd get me putting up like a painting or something mm-hmm. or like and just engage with it on, on that level, the kind of level you're talking about. Yeah. And so I, I wonder if you feel like your kids are remarkable in that way, or you've just broken down that barrier and you just do it and you found that they're ready to go. Yeah. I think here's where I think the, 
the the ways and why this is successful now um, for me in my context. I think it works one because I think the questions you ask of a painting uh, or that I have them ask of the painting are like the questions that they asked of the Bible when um, they were in children's ministry at All Souls and at Church of the Savior, which is all this um, young children of worship catechesis of the Good Shepherd stuff. It's these wondering questions where you sit there and say, I wonder what this person's thinking. I wonder where God is in this. Um, The thing I told the students when I first started showing them artwork, and I still do it, is I say, this is not a photograph. And even photographs are are interpretive, aren't sort of one-for-one representations. But this isn't a photograph. Mm -hmm. This is someone else who's reading the Bible with you. And they're offering you their take on it. They're trying to say something with this. So what do you think this artist is trying to say? Like they're choosing to set the scene in a certain way and they're trying to communicate some stuff. What do you notice? Um, And it's... I think we need to read scripture the same way where we say what is not just like what is happening in this story, but what is Mark trying to tell us? What is mm. what is Paul trying to say here? What is what is this story from Genesis tell us about who God is? Mm-hmm. You sort of assume some authorial intent as part of your understanding, um, yeah. not just what's happening on the ground as if this is like raw history, but like someone chose the compilers of the Old Testament historical books chose the stories they chose for a reason. And we assume God inspired them in that process, just like God inspired them when they wrote it down, just like God inspired the prophets. So if God's the, the author of all that, and he's inspiring these authors to have a flow of thought, why what's being communicated here, what's coming out of this. And I get a lot of that from John Walton. He's a professor at um, Mm -hmm. Wheaton he wrote, he's written a couple books, um, like Lost World of Genesis 1, which is about creation, Lost World of Adam and Eve, I think, or Genesis 2 and 3. Um, he's done another one on the Canaanite Annihilation, which I haven't read, but is supposed to be interesting. Um, he That's and, relatively new. That one's relatively new, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, yep. He and I believe his wife did a book called The Bible Story Handbook. Um, and it's meant for anybody who's doing any sort of teaching of Bible stories. And it has like 100 stories from scripture, maybe even more. Um, and you sort of look at it, they do a summary, they do like interpretive issues to avoid, like what's the big point here? And regularly, what they'll point out is like, this story is about God, not about the people. So when you read about David and Bathsheba, the takeaway is mm. not, I mean, maybe David should have been out at war when that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But like the point isn't kings should be out at war. Right. And the point right. isn't be like Uzziah, not like David. The, the point is David sucks. And God's going to do something anyways. Like the the point is always trying to say, what is, who is this God? Um, And so I I think, I think the interpretive questions that I'm trying to like have my students ask of the text, what, what do we learn about God from this? What is the author trying to tell us? What is our, Mm -hmm. those sorts of wondering questions are the same things you do when you approach movies and art and like, okay, Mm -hmm. what is this person trying to tell me about the world I'm living in? And what do I think about that? And did they yeah. tell it compellingly? Um, did they did they do it in an interesting way? When we were looking at those pieces um, in Advent, um, there were several times the students that were like reaching for explanations, but they couldn't quite give it. And I said, yeah, this is the cool thing about art is it often is saying things in a way that words couldn't. 
And mm-hmm. if art, if you could say what the what this painting says in a paragraph, then the painting is worthless. Right. Because if you could just do it with prose, just do it with prose. But they're doing something different. They're doing it with art. The same thing with music. Like if you could, if you could express the emotions that this piece is expressing, um, without or with words, if you could just say it then there's no reason for this music to exist. But the music mm-hmm. says it in a different way. And so we can try and, because we speak using language, we can try and approximate that. Um, now, all of this to say, I largely have these conversations with my high schoolers. And the other thing yeah. that's made it successful is not just that these kids grew up in children's worship, but that we've been doing this for a while and the high schoolers kind of get it. And the high yeah. schoolers engage in the conversation and they model it. And the middle schoolers observe that the conversation is happening. And so they kind of mm-hmm. become enculturated into this kind of youth group and they see it happen and they participate as well. And so with any of these kinds of endeavors, a lot of times you either have a couple kids who get it or maybe a couple adults who get it, who can help the younger kids see what it yeah. looks like. And then mm-hmm. they learn it. Um, it. I mean, it's discipleship. It's the same tools of discipleship. It's not, not that, you know, critiquing art is the same as following Jesus, but it's the idea that like you learn a method and you watch other people and then you start doing it. And then as the seniors graduate out, there's no one left to have that conversation. So then the younger kids start to offer opinions. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, this is, this is all part of um, my big picture of, of thinking about, I want these students to learn to love Jesus in the world in which they actually live in. And Mm. to do that, I want them to understand God and understand following Jesus and understanding the way of Christ in these bigger terms. I want them to understand it by looking at the text and saying, I know what it's like to wrestle with the text. Um, that's why engage, I think is such an amazing program. Quick plug for engage because yeah. the, the whole point is teach them, walk them through a live Bible study where you look at the text, show them what it's like to draw meaning from it, help mm. them understand the boundaries of like, <laughs> When your kids say like, and this is where Jesus was sinning, you can go like, well, I don't think so. Um, yeah. But it, it helps them draw it out. Um, then they've modeled it. Then they've learned how to do it. And for me, I, I, I just in the last few months put together my like youth ministry goals. Like these are the things that I hope students have when they graduate in a mm. perfect world, coming to all my programs, 6th through 12th grade, they leave like this. And that's going to help me shape my programs. And I realized so much of it, there's a lot of head goals of like, this is the stuff that I hope that they learn. But in the end, um, the content that I want them to know is a lot less than, than maybe I got when I was in high school. It's certainly not what I thought when I first came out of Moody, when I thought like, I want to have a theological youth ministry where I teach them systematics. Because at the end of the day, Jesus doesn't care if I can articulate an atonement theory, he cares mm. if I love other people and love mm. him. And part of that's our minds as well. We're not, we're not brainless creatures, but mm-hmm. um, I've started to move in this direction where I'm trying to model methods more than I'm trying to teach content. Um, yeah. And, and we'll see if it works. I mean, my kids might yeah. all leave being heretics who, who love Jesus, <laughs> but like, don't care about anything and and can articulate all the different ways that jesus has sinned right yeah that's right (laughs) Uh, let's just be clear we know that jesus did not sin 
that was a joke. Um, yeah. Um, man, I have so many questions in there. Um, I, I gotta, I gotta find that one. I, it was, I, I love the idea of approaching art from that perspective of understanding how intentional the artist was mm-hmm. with what they did. And that makes me think about a year ago, I was reading, um, I was reading about reading the story of the good Samaritan and I'm reading through this story. And, and at some point I realized, wait a second, Jesus is making this story up. Like this is a fictitious story. But I think so often when we talk about that story, we tell it in the same way that we tell like the story of Lazarus or or something like Mm -hmm. that really happened. But no, this is Jesus made this story up. And so every single little detail in this story, he was teaching something with every detail. And let's dig deep into what Jesus was saying and let's figure out what this means in my context. Yeah. In what, in what way am, am I behaving the same way as the priest who just walked right by mm-hmm. and didn't, didn't get down there with the guy who was like, man. And it just totally opened my mind to seeing that story in a totally different way. Yeah. And maybe everyone else has done that and I'm just <laughs> like a bad Christian, but um, I, man, it just, I love that idea. And I love the idea of then taking that same idea, that same approach mm-hmm. and applying that to, to other things. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's hopefully much more profound and we can learn a lot more about God when we're, we're examining Jesus and Jesus doing that. But what, what more can we learn about each other and, mm-hmm. and what God, what can God teach us about himself and each other through each other yeah. by examining things in that way? I think that's really, really cool. Um, I had, I had another question. I wanted to go back to what you were talking about with the music mm-hmm. because I, I have a, a student in my youth group who is a huge Kendrick Lamar fan. Yeah. Like massive yeah. Kendrick Lamar fan. And I, I don't mind hip hop. I like hip hop. Okay. I've never listened to a lot of hip hop, mm-hmm. but like, I love this kid. He's a great kid. And I wanted to know him better and I realized, man, if I really want to know this kid and I want to let him know that I value him as a person, I need to engage with him about Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. And it's a little weird because like there's all kinds of profanity and mm-hmm. there's all kinds of, you know, sex culture stuff. There's yeah. just all kinds of like things that that the normal good evangelical <laughs> would just be like, oh, that's bad. You can't yeah. go there. Um, but I felt like for him, I needed to do this. Mm-hmm. And so actually, is when we were on our way to the, the youth gathering last summer, we were sitting on the plane next to each other, and I had downloaded almost all of his albums. And so mm-hmm. we just we shared earbuds and listened to Kendrick Lamar for like mm-hmm. three hours on the plane to Chicago from L.A. And I think that meant so much to him. Yeah. And what I found at the end of it was I was even able to talk to him about, yeah, but what about all this dirtiness that you're just like, (laughs) you're like swimming in when you, when you know all the lyrics and everything, it's like, there's a lot of not goodness in that Mm -hmm. at the same time that there's a lot of truth that we can see. And we talked a lot. We had a lot of long conversations about the truth that was in Kendrick Lamar's music. So I'm curious going back a little bit, when you're having those conversations with them and you're asking kids to bring stuff in, 
are, are they only supposed to bring Christian music? Or if somebody was like, no, we, you know, we want to talk about how much a dollar costs or something yeah. from, from Kendrick Lamar. Is there space for that? So I, we've literally talked about how much a dollar costs at, awesome. at one of our music nights. Um, I mean, fortunately, cause that's, I think one of the cleanest songs on that album. Like, I don't think right. we have, we have a term I regularly use called youth group appropriate. Um, because, because on, on that front, um, what I'm regularly saying to students is like, I fully know, even if all of them listen to this song and none of the kids who are there are offended, the, and this is sort of a footnote, when we gather together, we don't want to offend anybody and someone right. might be offended by that. And we don't want someone to have to like hold their conscience back to try and be cool and not be that per- like mm-hmm. I'm the first with movies we watch all that stuff. I'm regularly working on that. And if it's going to be potentially more mature content i'll email parents ahead of time and say like hey if if this is not your thing that's fine i want you to know ahead of time um we almost never have christian songs in our in our music night talks um largely because my kids don't usually listen to christian music almost none of them listen to christian music um interestingly like i think that's a industry that's dying out Mm -hmm. right like Mm -hmm. i think um i don't think I mean, Cornerstone Festival closed a number of years ago because it's right. not been profitable for years. Um, so I, I think, I think that's one thing we have to sort of understand. Um, but what I the, there's a, a thing I've used to to try and help them out thinking about this. I've said there's stuff that there's sort of three categories, and it's a bit of a gradient in between. It's a sliding scale. There's stuff that's like good and good for you and good to listen to repetitively, right? Like there's things that when you play it, the the positive content outweighs any negative content. And by listening to it regularly, you are sort of habituating virtue. You are, right. it, it, it builds you up. Um, if any of it drags you down, it's, it's not enough that's like, hey, this is good. I should listen to this on repeat. It is encouraging. It is good stuff. Um, mm. Then there's stuff that's like, okay to listen to, but you probably wouldn't want to listen to it on repeat um, mm. stuff that like you hear it and you're like, okay, I don't need to turn this off right away. Um, mm. I could even listen to this. I mean, some stuff is, is even good or bad, depending on your mood. There, <laughs> there right. was a, um, a season where uh, my now wife, then girlfriend that we were like fighting or something. And like one weekend, I just listened to like carpenters all weekend. And that was terrible. <laughs> like th- there's, that in that moment, Carpenters was terrible for me. It was not good for me to listen to. It did damage to my to my psyche. We know, but it's where of, you were, right? It's, it's, it's where, where you were. Was. was it was it in some place giving voice to those to that part of you at the moment? See, I'll bet if I you say to it, it wasn't good, but I, I have a feeling like you were like you needed that at that moment. I'll bet the first time I listened to it, I needed it, and I'll bet you the second okay. time I listened to it. See, and this is this, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and this is trying to teach them wisdom, right? Like, right, yeah, as. 21st century Americans, we often process our emotions through the music we listen to. And so you have to mm-hmm. think, okay, when is listening to this angry song like a helpful thing? And when yeah. have I crossed over into like self-medicating bad thing? Um, so mm. I say like there's that category. And then somewhere down the, the scale, there's stuff that is not worth, like you should turn it off as soon as you see it. Like pornography is in that category, right? Like mm-hmm. th- there, there might be redeeming lighting and filmmaking characteristics there but there's not a what's dragging you down is clearly going to do more harm to you than whatever you might glean good from it and so it's i use that as to 
as a a sort of metric or a way to think like okay and i have to use it for myself too as a way to think of like okay in your media consumption um how do you how do you approach it how do you how do you navigate that and i think that's something that there's no clear obvious biblical warrant for it like this philippians 4 right there's whatever is true think about you know etc yeah. etc think about such things but like the biblical writers have no concept of the kind of media consumption i mean books television music right they have no category for netflix binging right like they don't right. they don't in the first century the artwork you see is what you pass by on the street the the books you read is whatever poetry is read out loud i mean there's meditating on scripture but they don't have like leisure time that they can yeah, choose right. what kind of art to consume um so you can use these biblical principles and understand it, but um, it, the, I don't think the the things that I grew up with of sort of using Philippians 4.8 as a simple tool for understanding what kind of music you listen to, I think is too simplistic. And it's becoming increasingly more difficult to have youth group appropriate content that these kids watch because now that YouTube exists... Yeah. Like my, our our kids are are encountering obscenities regularly. I mean that that idea of like I don't listen to things with swears in it is just not a that's not a category our kids grow up in. It's not reasonable anymore. And I, no. I, but I don't I like man. We're right in the middle of of where I feel conflicted as a youth pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's a little bit this way with me and social media. Yeah. Right. Because I want to call my kids out of social media. Just turn it off. <laughs> Just like deactivate your account and don't go there. Yeah. And yet, because that's I've found so much life in doing that. And I know my kids would find so much life in doing that as well. Mm-hmm. And yet, here I am. And I feel like that even that position itself is out of touch. Like I just I just decided that I'm therefore going to be out of touch and I'm not going to be able to glean anything from my students and, yeah. and being connected with them through social social media like where where is the I, man I, I find myself asking that question so much like do I just do I engage with the culture because yeah. I know all of my students are going to be engaging with culture in this way and yeah. I need to be you know in there with them so I can speak into it or or do I need to be outside of this culture so I can call them out over with me and like lead them out of it I, that's a that's a really difficult place that I find myself in yeah. a lot yeah, and I think there's – I think we need to always be thinking about what Christian counterculture would look like. Like what does it look like to be countercultural? And I think for some of our students, maybe engaging in social media differently um, is, is a better thing. Like like if you were to, to say, what does it look like for me to be salt and light in social media? Because part of the reason why I am <laughs> – I'm I'm almost about to take your lead and just kind of, or at least I'm going to scale back my social media use because it just, we joked last time, like, well, how do you know what to be angry about? Like, I just am angry. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm angry for like very recent trends in politics and things like that. And our students uh-huh. don't have political fights. Like if you're 15, mm-hmm. you're probably not arguing politics and upset no. about someone of the other political stripe putting a too simplistic argument up like that's probably not happening um there are there's a whole nother world of ways in which social media does damage but i think 
it, they're they're missionaries to their own culture, and so saying, if this is the world you live in, what does it look like for you to be salt and light here? This is a whole new mission field. What right. does it look like for you to be salt and light on Snapchat? Maybe mm. it looks like being encouraging. Maybe it looks like. Maybe it actually looks like keeping your snap streak with your friend who's having a hard time because you know they're having a rough time and you know that snap streak mm. means something to them. So even though it doesn't mean mm. anything to you, mm. or maybe it does mean something to you, and but you're recognizing it shouldn't have the place of prominence it has in your life, um, it you might still say, hey, I need to be an encouragement here. I need to be in this placeless place called the internet. And I need to know what it looks like to be a missionary to that kind of a, a culture. I don't know though. Like, it is it is that possible? That, that, I mean, I love that. I think that's a beautiful idea. And it just has, you know, it's a it's a little bit like, you know, it's okay to social drink, uh, just don't ever get drunk, right? And 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 that's a real thing. And and hopefully, yeah. though, hopefully, almost everyone's doing that. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to do something like that with social media? Yeah. Does Maybe. it does it lend itself to that sort of moderation, you know, or that that sort of healthy engagement? I'm really good at painting beautiful ideals and having no idea how they actually work in real life. Um, so sure, why not? That's um, ministry, right? That's, Isn't that ministry right. in general? That's telling the gospel. Here's this beautiful, picturesque <laughs> ideal. Now ah. go out to your regular life and figure out how to do it. I don't have any real suggestions for you. Go and be Jesus. Go. <laughs> Just do it. Just be him. Um, yeah, but here's the here's the beauty of harnessing adolescence is we think about adolescent brains as like insufficient, but they're firing faster. Like they're working harder mm-hmm. than our brains are. They're mm-hmm. quicker than our brains are. Mm-hmm. They're making connections that ours can't. And part of, I think, valuing them is saying to them, look, like... First of all, however you're using social media this year is different than someone was using social media four years ago. And as your youth mm-hmm. pastor, I actually like literally can't keep up with this. Mm-hmm. So so I, I can tell you these principles, but let me reach out to you and say, you can figure this out. You fit like think about it. And this is this wondering question. This is this non-prescriptive thing. I heard a guy who writes youth ministry curriculum once uh, he rails against application because he says application literally means to put on the surface. Um, Mm -hmm. And he has this great story of like um, teaching kids about Abraham. And then like weeks later, these, these high schoolers who were never paying attention in class, like coming out and saying like, Hey, we want to bless the people around us. And so we just made a bunch of sandwiches. They're going to drive out and give them to homeless people. Like they figured out something and it was totally out of their own context. Um, I think that's the, the thing you do is you say, you can figure this out. And maybe you share some personal stories of like, here's how I'm trying to do this in my life. But you basically tell them like, you almost trust the spirit to do, you actually trust the Holy Spirit to do work in people's <laughs> lives and inspire them to do whatever's God called them to do. And that's these, like a, these contemplative exercises are ways of saying, the spirit can talk to you and you might be inspired to do something and you should really listen and ask mm. and then actually do it like think about this take big steps and maybe it's god and maybe you're making it up but the only way to find out is for you to jump in and 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 that's i think that's empowering and it's a way to tell students it's to put control out of your hands as the youth pastor which is scary but it's great because it's a way Mm. of saying i don't have to figure out how you can be jesus at your high school 
and learn mm. everything about your high school and and learn everything about your friends so I can tell you how to do this so I can spoon feed you the spiritual mm. life I'm going to teach mm-hmm. you some habits and some disciplines which is the beauty of Anglicanism because we've got yep. all these amazing habits and disciplines and we're going to teach yep. you how to really not just go through the motions but like steep yourselves in this stuff and and find meaning and draw and draw strength from it and then say okay we confirmed you and your confirmation is your lay ordination you're now mm-hmm. committed mm-hmm. to this Jesus following stuff mm-hmm. so what are you going to do about it now again i'm painting this beautiful picture and yeah. and it sounds great and it's way messier in real life and my students are more often going like that's great andrew anyways back to my regular life exactly um, that's what I was going to say, because I, I was just going to say, like, I keep calling my kids into into exactly what you're talking about. And, and I, I even I make them, you know, little booklets with liturgies yeah, in it. Yeah. I just take this home and use this for your prayer time at home. And like, I, I keep calling them into that. And I just feel like it, it feels like it's speaking into the void. Right. Yeah. I'm just it's just going out. Into, and yet then I, I find uh, one of my students recently friended me on the, on the version Bible app. Mm-hmm. And and every now and then I get a, an up an update that oh he just completed such and such devotional yeah. plan or whatever and I'm like yes he's yeah. doing it that's so awesome like and it just makes me wonder wow are, are there other kids that are doing this I, maybe not maybe he's the only one or there's him and his buddy are the yeah. only ones that are doing it I, and ultimately ultimately that's not up to us right right um, all we can do is is you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink right. you know just be stupid like that but that's kind of the way it is right yeah yeah it's the, there was an illusion of control before where we can say things and have students regurgitate it back to us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. But there is – what I found is the a non-control method. First of all, I don't think the control method actually worked. But I think this mm-hmm. decentralized method um, where you're just trying to model as best you can and invite them, I think it's better. It's scarier, but it produces even better results. Mm-hmm. Like we've – so after the – the most recent um, church shooting that night we talked to my high school group. I was like, okay, we're going to talk about this. Um, and I remember um, the, the response that some of my students gave, cause we were going to talk about what does it actually look like to love your enemies? Um, that was the plan anyways. And so eventually we just escalated it to like, okay, someone walks into the church right now. Um, we were meeting at the church instead of someone's house that week. And I said, someone walks down right now and pulls a gun and tries to shoot us. Mm. What do we do? Um, like, do you, should we have armed guards and like, whatever you think is the best strategy for a church for this? Um, my students were like, well, I guess we die. Like, <laughs> I, I guess that's what happens. And I was like, well, what would you guys think about having armed guards? And they were like, something about that just doesn't feel right. Um, mm. and, and maybe again, maybe you think that's going too far and the church can reasonably have armed guards. But what I was so encouraged by is my students had been so soaked in this idea of, hearing Jesus's story mm. that it, inf- that it made them reflexively answer. Like they didn't have like, well, because Jesus said this or because this happened, like the, right. it, it wasn't even that they could necessarily pull out a verse, which would be great, but yeah. it's just that they had steeped enough. I had never told them about this. I've never like indoctrinated them with my bleeding heart ideas. They've just, there's just something about this that they've said, yeah, I just don't feel like that's, I don't feel like that's mm. what we should do. Um, mm. and, and I think for, for me, that's an example of, in some ways, terrifyingly, they've, they've 
picked up the ideology that I've been telling them about and they're mm. not responding, trying to get a right answer. It's just what they think. Um, and that's scary for me as a teacher because I think, I mean, I'm going to be judged more harshly because I'm a teacher. So I need to be cautious about these things, but it, it feels like I don't want my students to come away with a doctrinal checklist. I want them to come away wanting to follow Jesus. I want them yeah. to have the yeah. response that Peter has. I go to this all the time in, in John six, after Jesus feeds the 5,000 and says all the weird stuff about eating his flesh and drinking his mm. blood, mm. Um, which at that point, everybody says like, thanks for the food, but I'm out of here. Yep. See ya. Uh, peace out. Um, and the disciples like, that is a really hard thing. You just said, Jesus. And he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter's response isn't, um, isn't, no, Jesus, I understand you're talking about a foreshadow of the Eucharistic meal. Um, <laughs> like, he doesn't know the answer to that question. Like, yeah, he is also yeah. still perplexed by this. His position mm. on whether or not this is a hard saying that he doesn't understand remains the same. But when the question is posed to him if he should leave, he's like, no, where else are we going to go? You have the words yeah. of eternal life. We have believed and come to know that you are the very, you know, the son of God. I want my students to have that reflex. They'll, they've got plenty of time. They're going to go to college and they'll go to Christian colleges or they'll go to non-Christian colleges and hopefully get involved in like an inner varsity thing. They're going to be soaking up Bible knowledge about, about the details of who God is for a long time. Mm. But mm -hmm. I, I really hope, and this is actually for those of you who are listening. Um, we were just talking before the podcast about how many Anglican churches don't have youth pastors and, and how someone in my position is actually pretty rare the thing I want most for my students is actually something that I think any church can impart to their teenagers as long as they're showing them and modeling Christian living is that they just feel like, well, yeah, I'm going to keep on following Jesus. And they'll continue mm -hmm. to wrestle with that all their lives. But if they have that instinct that they have learned about Jesus, found that the way of Christ is for some reason, even though it makes no sense to the world, that the, the folly of the cross is actually wisdom. Um, if they're able to do that, if they're able to, to hear all that and do all that stuff and then feel like, yeah, I'm going to keep on following Jesus, to me, wild success. Like that student, uh, I have done my job. God has done his job, which is, uh, you know, <laughs> accounted for all of my awfulness and come in in the midst of all of my brokenness and done something useful. And I'm happy about where that student is going because they feel like, yeah, I want to keep following Jesus, um, despite everything around me, despite whatever else comes. I'm just going to sit in that right now. <laughs> that, that is so good. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, and I would say that that's probably a good place for us yeah. to stop for today. Yeah. Um, as you were saying that, um, the, um, the Collect for Guidance, um, which is uh, from the 1979 mm -hmm. BCP, uh, came to mind. So I thought I would just close by offering up this prayer Let's do it. Uh, with you. Sounds so good. the Lord be with you. And also with you. Heavenly Father, in you we live and move and have our being. We humbly pray you so to guide and govern us by your Holy Spirit, that in all the cares and occupations of our life, we may not forget you, but may remember that we are ever walking in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.